Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trouble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Pretty good. Yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah, it's a, yeah. a rainy Sunday here in Vancouver. So, Well, mm. it's different for me out here because I actually am seeing rays of sunlight coming into this room and everything. So it is sunny outside, maybe a little bit windy. It is the Okanagan that we do get a shitload of wind. But, uh, yeah, this is where all the sun in BC is right now. Fair. Mm. <laughs> Give it back to us. Give it back to uh, us in Vancouver. I'm so uh, ready for summer. On yeah. tooth and nail, I will hold it. <laughs> Come out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. I've seen... Um, there was a movie I saw recently that was filmed with Ben Tecton. Um, yeah, Drinkwater. Yeah. Uh, recommended. Uh, I know this is a horror podcast, and to, just to slightly interrupt you on that one. Um, yeah. Recommended, I will say. Yeah, I did the I did a Q and A with the director and stars of that movie. So I'm a little Daniel Daniel Doheny is it is the lead? Yeah, and then Larisa Tronco and Stephen Campanelli is the director. Right. Um, yeah, that's a very good movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It it definitely has John Hughes vibes all over that movie. Um, but yeah, it's said protected. So I don't know. Watch that movie intently enough. Maybe you might see Steve in the background somewhere. <laughs> I only wish. <laughs> um, but yeah, friend of the podcast, Mark, uh, him and I were we were seeing that movie, and then I'm like, why did they not put Steve in this movie? Like, I know, missed opportunities. Yeah, you could have been like I don't know, like a bouncer somewhere or something. Yeah, you could have found a role for it. That street, all that means Jesus. is that all that means is that we need to make a remake of that movie. There yes. we go. I opt to play Street Jesus in anything. Okanagan filmed. I think we should have you play every single background extra. Like every time there's a background extra, it's just Steve. It's just me. Yeah, we we can replicate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, we're not talking drink water, although, well, we could, but maybe not in this podcast. But another day, another place, another time. But this this episode, Freddy versus Jason, so. Your your early to mid two thousands crossover movie, which yep. the early to mid two thousands was really right for that. We also had Alien versus Predator as well. So mm. you know, I don't know what it was with us kids, teens, whatever in the early to mid two thousands, but we wanted to see people team up and fight. So, um, but yeah, Freddy versus Jason. I, I, I have mixed feelings on this movie because as much as you're like, oh, Kurt was. Friday the 13th. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't hold up that well. Um, I would argue argue that this movie feels more dated than any Friday the 13th movie or Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but, I don't know. I do feel like this movie like keeps it, its pace well and largely keeps things entertaining even if it's mm-hmm. not a perfect or smooth ride throughout. But... <laughs> 
Here's the real question, though. Mm. Maybe, maybe this has been officially answered somewhere. But is this movie more of a Friday the 13th movie or a Nightmare on Elm Street movie? Mm. I would argue more of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. Freddy really does seem like maybe the more titular uh, big bad of this movie. Than Jason kind of just seems like the lapdog, which I think he gets pretty much called that throughout the movie, too. But well, Yeah, until yeah. the end, until the last, until the actual versus comes into play. Yeah, yeah. very much. He's, he's puppeted the entire film. Essentially, yeah. until until he wises up. But this movie feels so two thousand three. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it really, it really does. Um, and I think that, I think Ronnie Yu is the big reason why. Um, it just, it doesn't feel like it has the same franchise charm that like Bride of Chucky did. Mm-hmm. Um, which honestly, in the horror genre, that's Yu's like crowning achievement. Because that movie's that movie holds up, it doesn't feel as locked into the 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 time it was made as, as this film does. Mm. Um, I mean, fuck, you have a you have a uh, a Jay and Silent Bob character. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know what I mean in in this in this movie, and it feels like it's borrowing from so many um, movies of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. And it's just funny because, like, the idea of Freddy taking on Jason goes back to, like, I think around the time of the sixth Friday the 13th movie. So, mm-hmm. like, the mid to late 80s. So, it took them 15 plus years to get that made. So, mm-hmm. man, what? Like... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what would this movie have been like if it was made in the 80s instead of the early 2000s? Like,. Mm-hmm. That would have been very interesting to see, I think. There's actually a whole book dedicated to, like, the lost scripts of this movie. Like, there was something like 27 or 28 scripts for Freddy vs. Jason that, like, obviously all got passed on. But it's actually kind of interesting to go and read through some of them, because, I mean, some are worse than others. Some are even better than this movie, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it goes to show there was a lot of time and effort and thought put into this movie which then you watch this movie and you're like you had 15 plus years to make this movie why is it (laughs) why is it the way it is but did you guys know that james wan was originally going to direct this no really but he was already committed to saw at the time that's what imdb is telling me so i don't know what the actual reality is to that but it would have been a far different film Interesting. I mean, we're it, we're better off because you know Saw was then created in two thousand four, but yeah, that seems like a, a vastly different film. And then there's all the rumors about different endings and and third crossovers within those endings because I believe there was a Hellraiser pitch. Whoa! Um, I think there was a uh, Evil Dead pitch. Um, yeah, there there was there was multiple rumors uh, flying around. And to think that this is the last time we saw uh, Robert Anglin play Freddy. Mm-hmm. And I will still attest that his performance of Freddy is is gleeful in this movie. <laughs> like you, you can you can feel him relishing that, you know, probably known to him that it would be the final time. Um, but you can feel him just 
slip into that, you know, skin beautifully one last time. Um, arguably, he's the performance of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially with such an absurd premise of, oh, yeah, you're going to use Jason Voorhees to, like, make this town of people scared of you again, and then you're going to, like, it's just the whole thing is so absurd. It must have been so much fun. <laughs> and an absurd script, too. I mean, I think, Kurt, you posted some of the Jason Ritter dialogue in the van, and it's just like, <laughs> how did this make it? <laughs> He smiles throughout every fucking scene. Like, he can't fucking hide his teeth. It just looks like he's smiling when he's delivering lines about, like, how he witnessed a murder. And I'm like, you're so bad. What the <laughs> it reminds me of, um, you guys, I don't know if you guys have watched uh, Modern Family before. Oh, Julie yeah. Julie Bowen's character. Yeah. She always delivers bad news with this, like, frozen smile. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a it's a character flaw, and it it just makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jason Ritter, uh, arguably like we don't do worst performance, but if we did, he would easily win it in this because he is so bad. I don't know. Kelly Rollins got some really like, iffy stuff. Like everybody has iffy stuff in this one, even like because I mean, this again, this film is so two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Kelly Rollins in this one, uh, Jason Ritter in early role, Monica Kina. Uh, Canadian Catherine Isabel, Ginger herself, um, oh, Chris yes. Marquette, Brendan Fletcher, another Canadian, because this was all done in uh, Vancouver in the Lower Mainland. Yeah. Uh, I mean, C- Camp Crystal Lake is Bunsen Lake, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so, too. Oh. I remember, too, I'm... like, some neighbor of mine growing up, like, was cast as the the child Jason. Oh, fuck. That's, yeah. a, that, that's a pretty good claim to fame. Yeah. Well, what is Freddy versus JC even about? Well, Freddy... oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the title kind of tells you everything, but just yeah. in case, uh, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees return to terrorize the teenagers of Elm Street, only this time they're out to get each other, too. Yeah, like, pretty much the title tells you everything. Uh, when was the first time we watched this movie? I saw this baby in theaters. Same. Hey. Yeah, opening weekend. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. so fucking hyped. I was no way I was missing this one. This is, this is uh, the horror Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean when it came out, not even know. just horror, but like, I mean, I feel like nowadays the hype for this movie pre-release is lost on pretty much everybody. But like, if you were in yeah. the, live in our shoes in two thousand and three, this movie was everywhere. There was promotion mm-hmm. everywhere. Everyone was talking about this. It killed at the box office. Like yeah. people showed up to watch this movie. Um, and under, understandably so. So, yeah, like... It felt like, a, and especially after Jason goes to hell, it felt like we've been waiting for this thing for a fucking while. Oh, 100%. With the tease that this might happen. You know, yeah. like, I mean, that that Final Friday stinger, I, I mean, in my estimation, has to be one of the the most early um representations of that which is very much common now in, in our in our big budget movies yeah especially with sequelitis prequelitis all that kind of stuff yeah. but uh, that has to be one of the first things i can remember that like oh they're setting up something huge and then we actually got it like yeah. i mean because because as you can well attest to final uh jason goes to hell did not do well oh no 
that arguably too is like the worst Friday the Thirteenth by a large margin. <laughs> so. I know personal opinion, whatever, blah blah blah. But yeah, that I cannot stand that movie. I have has Treble Tremble covered it pre Taylor and I, or is it something no. that we're going to cover again in the future? I mean, if you do, you'll have to drag me to the computer. <laughs> Fair no, enough. I don't think we've ever covered it. Um, I can do a quick search because I have all of the episodes uh, thing where I can quickly search. No, we've never done it before. But yeah, I don't know. That would be that would be that would be an interesting episode. Um, yeah, Taylor, how about you? What did you see? First watch. Well. Movie? I did not get to see it in theaters, unfortunately. Um, I don't even know what I, my where my attention was when this came out in theaters. The the year after, I know it was with Saw because I remember I went and saw Saw at, like in theaters as soon as it came out. But um, this one, I think I saw. It was just like one of those ones where you just get together with your friends and it's like, what? Let's just watch a bunch of random Friday the Thirteenth and or Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And this was just one of those in the mix. I think so. I was definitely a teenager when I saw it. Um, I don't remember how closely I paid attention to it when I saw it, because I was probably just chilling with a bunch of my, my friends. But um, when I rewatched it for the podcast, there were definitely some bits that I was like, oh, I remember this being in one of the movies, didn't realize that this was in Freddy vs. Jason. So, um, yes, I definitely enjoyed the rewatch of this. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this movie is, like I said, a, a relic of a time. I, you know... Except for a movie like Black Adam, they don't make movies like they like they do before. I joke because Black <laughs> Adam definitely felt like a movie that was from like two thousand and two, two thousand and three, for better or for worse. Um, yeah. Uh, we have a few emails here. Reed says, "If you can track down and read the Peter Briggs script for this movie, it utilized more characters." from each series and set the finale in hell with some other horror icons popping up. As much as I enjoy the final product, the Briggs script would have been more badass. Interesting. I think um, what our horror now has given us better and what could have been utilized better is, yeah, exactly, legacy characters. Mm -hmm. The utilization of legacy characters, survivors, final girls, stuff like that. I mean, sometimes it gets harder with Friday the 13th because they love to kill them off in the next film. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you definitely could have utilized way more legacy characters. We, uh, we couldn't see t a representation of Tommy Jarvis or something like that? or Yeah, I mean, that would have been, like, easily, like, just bringing Tommy Jarvis to yeah. be like the expert or whatever. Nancy, like, mm. you, know. you know, like, or, you know, characters on either side of it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in Nightmare on Elm Street and in in Friday the 13th, there's so, there's so much you could have done. I, I, I mean, I, I'd love if they brought Tina from uh, New Blood. Right? Like, let's bring the psychics back into this. Maybe that's how they get to hell, right? You know, like, through Ooh. a conduit of her. Right? There's just... There There are definite... And, and, and it's because it set a tone. Like, we've already said this was, like, a very... Like, this was, like, a pioneer of franchise building and, and connection and everything. So, 
they didn't have the tone set by like 2018's Halloween or any of the other kind of legacy horror films that we've gotten since. Um, even controversially bringing this up, the Texas Chainsaw one. Yeah. <clears throat> by by bringing back the original Final Girl, technically. Um, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's what could have been is, is always it's still romanticized i mean uh, what 20 years later yeah yeah so and people like still want a uh like sequel to this movie which i find astounding i don't i don't think it think it would ever happen like with just the rights I, the way they are like mm-hmm. i would still just accept if just go, coming back to friday you know, I I I really really like the Marcus Nispel one. Um, I don't think it got its flowers enough. Marcus Nispel, in general, between Friday Thirteenth and Texas Chainsaw, doesn't get enough flowers. Yeah. I think we all just still kind of hate on him for Pathfinder and and Conan the Barbarian, and we forget what good he did. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the Peter Briggs script was supposed to bring in Steven and Jessica from Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, which, yeah, I mean, that movie's not great, but at least it would have brought it's, those characters back. It's connective tissue, though. I get it. Yeah. Especially because that, like, we've already said that that's the direct representation of how we got to where we are with this movie. Yeah. And then <coughs> Alice and Jacob from Dream Child would have popped up. Yeah. Yeah. Alice is not Nancy, sure, but hey, again, still would have probably been better than nobody's. So mm-hmm. better than Jason Ritter by a large margin. I'm sorry, Jason. <laughs> I'm just gonna shit on you this entire podcast. You were so mm-hmm. bad at this. I don't know he's if he's active, active on the social media. It's, he might. He, he's he's active on the social media, so he might see this. He's he's a TikTok star for sure. Oh, is he? Um, oh yeah, he's hilarious actually. Well, and I mean. He he's a cult favorite because he uh, voiced Gravity Falls for a long yeah. time. Um, there's a bunch of stuff. He was uh, he was in he's in, he did some background work for Last of Us, but that's because his wife is on the show. Oh, well, there you go. He's he's married to Melanie Linsky. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Who I adore. Yeah, me too. I oh, love yeah. her. I just started. Yellow jackets, so but she's so good in The Last of Us. Yeah, I I she's so good in fucking everything. That movie she did with Elijah Wood, uh that Netflix one. Oh that, um, were they like neighbors or something? Yeah, that Macon Blair wrote and directed. Yeah, that was oh, fun. Yes. Such a good movie. Yeah. I know it's again not horror, but watch that and watch Blue Ruin if you haven't. Yeah. Macon Blair's the shit. Yes. Friend of the podcast, Nathan Blair. Oh, is he? Yeah. Love that guy. Love him. Yeah. Uh, I've met him at a few festivals, and um, we've, like, we've chatted before. I've tried to get him on the podcast, so. I say friend of the podcast, but he's not been on, in case people start no, okay. searching backups uh, or whatever, but. No, that, we gotta do that in the future, then. Yeah. If Green Room, if Green Room fits as horror... If it's not too leaning too hard into the thriller side of it. Well, I remember like when around the uh, when the uh, pandemic started, and I had texted him I'm like, "Dude, I'm watching you right now." And um, what's it called? 
the uh, the hunt. I was like, oh, oh yep. And he just randomly popped up in that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, what other emails we got? Oh, Kylie says, I want Freddy to take me after listening to this new metal soundtrack. Uh, yeah, the soundtrack's <laughs> really cool. And I think the lead pushing single on it was, uh, by, uh, Latino hardcore band Il Nino. Mm. How Can I Live Without You? Which is still such a fucking banger of a song. There's uh, there's one part in particular where Freddy gets pulled out of the nightmare and then they're in the like things are on fire and Jason like walks up to Freddy and this like metal music is playing and it's just like it's kind of badass actually. (laughs) Well, I was thinking too like this came out around a time when like wrestling WWE and all that was like probably like some of its most popular so I think it definitely kind of pulled from some of that for sure like Mm -hmm. well and it came two years after Resident Evil which had a banger of a new metal soundtrack as well yeah because that had like the um, radio friendly remix of um, of uh, Slipknot uh, My Plague Um, there was a bunch of stuff that came off of that so I was a big fucking soundtrack horror Um, I still am to a certain degree but there there seem to be fewer and uh, further to be between these yeah. days um like it's rare that you get like a full album like birds of prey did recently which is, has a mm. lot of good shit on that one um even recently john wick has two or three songs because there's a new in this uh in this moment song that on it that's fucking awesome yeah, and man. a couple other tracks i miss but, the days when uh nickelback would just make a random song for a spider-man right do you know what I miss? I miss. Uh, do you remember Spawn and its soundtrack? Oh, yeah. Because oh. yeah, it was teaming new metal groups, a uh, new metal and and harder rock groups with DJ, like mm. uh, or ED, or like. Uh, well, at, wasn't called EDM at that time, but like Corn and the Dust Brothers, and the Dust Brothers were really the Chemical Brothers um tom morello and orbital and i mean there was a bunch of mixes which actually reaches back to the judgment day soundtrack which is a bunch of grunge bands paired up with uh hip-hop groups mm-hmm. oh man i'm just, just going be, off on a tangent about it would just be great <laughs> if the next marvel movie had a random soundtrack just full of awful like awful in that like it doesn't fit the movie at all like soundtrack mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. as much as I find the Angley Hulk movie to be very eh, it did have a great song by Velvet Revolver, so. I would agree, oh yeah, I would agree with that too. Yeah. Anyways, that's our tangent for this episode. Uh, <laughs> somebody should make, like, a Spotify playlist just of those, like, like god-awful soundtrack songs from the <laughs> early, early to mid-2000s. I would listen to that, non-ironically. Well, there's got to be something out there on Spotify. I would imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And then last email from Sam. It says, I came out as gay in 2006, so three years after this movie. And I used to love this movie, but since coming out, Kelly Rowland's line calling Freddy a faggot really has made this movie impossible to watch. There's some cool fight scenes yeah. and kills, but it's hard not to think of how tarnished this movie is. I would totally agree with that. There's definitely... Within a lens. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. And it does feel so like misunderstanding teenager when we're mm-hmm. originally watching it and then watching it now, it just, it's because 
you know, you realize that it's written by, a, a, you know, adults. <laughs> it's not written by a teenager, you know? Yeah. So it was written by uh, Damian Shannon and Mark Swift. Well, who by that point had. They have said that they didn't put that line in the script. Like, that was all oh, really? rolling, like, just on, on set. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because yeah, it, I mean, it's weird because Damien Shannon worked on Hedwig and the Angry Inch in 2001. Yeah. Uh, which is a very big LGBTQ film, you know, based on a, you know, massive stage play. I believe they both worked on that movie. Yeah, they so typically like... work as a pair. But they have both said that, like, they tried to get that line taken out of the movie, but at that point, like, it was a little That's too studio, late. eh? Yeah. It's either Bob Shea or... Right, because this was a co-production. This was this was because um, this was uh, Bob Shea and New Line, mm-hmm. who got the distro <clears throat> rights, and then the home box, the home video market was because the, the, I remember it was the Finifilm two disc DVD that came out. They did pretty well in the two thousand two between that and the um, Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah, New Line was killing it. Yeah. Absolutely killing it at that point. But, I mean, the fall was so sharp. Yeah. Alright. Um, on to the awards. Best line from this movie. I mean, this movie doesn't ha- lack an abundance of crazy, insane lines. So. Yeah. Yeah, but the one, the two that I wrote down that were no, most notable for me, I think they both came from Lori's character. She says something like, he's taken everything from me, he's ruined both our pasts, and I'm not leaving until I see him die. And just the way that that one particular line was delivered was, uh, I really liked it. I could feel that she just wanted fucking Freddy to get what was coming to him. Yeah. Um, and then she also has a line right at the end, welcome to my world, bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that one was pretty good too. <laughs> uh, which is funny because she's arguably like, yeah, well, she's the final girl in this movie. But in this final girl fashion, they actually did make a sequel to this. That was a comic, and she gets killed off by funny enough Jason in the beginning of that <laughs> comic. So it's like, but you know, she was arguably Jason's ally throughout most of the movie. So you think he would remember that? But no, no, he doesn't have any friends. Uh, um. <laughs> the my favorite line just because it's so dumb <laughs> is Freddy Krueger's not my R <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> just fucking stupid um, and I was going to bring up a, but you know the the, uh, the listener mail brought it up before of like worse lines and yeah that Kelly Rollins line is terrible but in that same scene Freddy goes how sweet dark meat oh yeah that's also pretty problematic fuck off yeah fuck off how do these lines make it through how do they make it through filming editing test screenings to the final product also like i understand that freddy likes to use the word bitch on occasion yeah in previous movies he had mentioned it maybe like one or two times but like in this movie in particular he like mentioned he says that word like probably 20 or 30 times so much i'm like so yeah. much. dude um but yeah like my, said, so 2003 yeah it's like they did a find and replace and just took out what a different word and just put in the word bitch yeah <laughs> uh, 
I my favorite was and it's such a dumb line because most of them come from Freddy the dumb lines but when he says man the torpedoes and then he starts cutting off the covers on the oxygen tanks and sending them to Jason that was just a just a dumb little line but like yeah <laughs> I was expecting Jason to be able to take those a little better than he took them too he really got bodied by one of those <laughs> I mean yep. considering that he's essentially undead like he's died so many times in these movies like. Yeah. I don't think it would really matter if you got hit by them, but yeah. Or um, Mark says to Lori, do you want some free advice? Coffee. Make friends with her. That was also another good one I wrote down to. <laughs> All right. Um, best performance. I mean. England. Yeah, it's got to be Robert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the actors are all, like, relative newcomers to acting, so you can't expect too much from them. Um, yeah, and there weren't any dogs in this movie, so we can't say it's the dog. No, no. Definitely not. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, if there's a worse actor award, it would go to Jason Ritter. Which, I'm sure <laughs> since then, he's done many great things, but this was not one of them. <laughs> Um, funny enough though, Brendan Fletcher, who played, um, the stoner guy, he was in the movie Krampus, that just, or no, uh, Violent Night, sorry, that just came out, he played Krampus. Yeah, he so, played Krampus, yeah. So, oh, that's fun. Yeah, so he's still acting, he's still doing stuff. Oh, he's doing lots of stuff, he's done an Uwe Boll movie before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he was just in a TV series recently as well. But, oh yeah, he's... He's done a lot of work. Uh, he's, I believe, he's from Saskatchewan originally, somewhere or, or Winnipeg, somewhere in the prairies. But I think he's, he's a uh, BC based. Yeah, um, he was born in Comox Valley, so. He did a, a, I mean, around this time, I think too, or no, it'd be a year after he did a Gilliam film. The I, I swear, the least seen Gilliam film, uh, Tideland, mm. which is a fucking just fucked up movie yeah. uh, he was in The Revenant yep so he, he pops yeah, up in a few things he's done a lot of, oh he was in Last of Us yeah mm. he was in the first episode he was in the first episode yeah yeah okay um best kill there's some good kills in this I will say I that. love the cornfield scene so much does, does that it count as it. a kill? Because that's like a lot of kills. It's a lot, but it's so great. It's just like a great sequence. It feels like it celebrates Jason as the monster that he is. I think it's the is is it the 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 most like kill count rack up in one scene for Jason? Oh, for sure. Right, like it's a big scene. It is like. It is like the king is back. That's how that <laughs> scene feels. And that's how it plays in the film. I think it's shot really well. Yeah. Um, arguably, it's shot better than the entire final final battle. Yep. Mm, I would agree. Uh, the flaming machete. Yeah. Like, there's so much going on with it. It's it's so, it's really great. Um, I did like 
was it the first kill in the movie where the guy gets stabbed and folded in half in the bed? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That one is great because at first he just gets stabbed and you're like, okay, he's dead. And then the bed just folds for no reason. And it just gets super absurd. And I I feel like that kind of sets up a little bit of what this movie overall feels like too. Um, cause we're not just going for the regular slasher kills. We're, we're getting a little weird. We're getting a little silly with it for this one. <laughs> yeah. I would also argue that, uh, Brendan Fre- uh, Fletcher's, uh, death by Freddy in the bathroom is really good. It's really, it's handled pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went with Trey just because he's such a fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> the movie wastes no time in being like, this guy's a piece of shit, so when we kill him, you're not going to feel bad for him. So, <laughs> Like, it has to be, like, the most 0 to 100, like, you hate this character immediately, mm-hmm. like, by the character. Because he's just, like, he is at no point when you see him likable. Like, and you would have to think most people who are, like, assholes like that would probably be, like, semi-decent when there's other people around or whatever, but, like, no, nah, he's just, like, he's like, babe, told you not to smoke before you kissed me. I'm like, oh, God, you're just terrible. <laughs> um, dumbest decision. I mean, tr- keeping this a dated Jason in a van? Yeah. Yeah, when that mouth-to-mouth scene happened, I was like, why is anyone going along with this at all? Oh my god. Um, I also wrote down that I thought it was a little dumb giving Jason a fear of water, although that's kind of a meta dumbest decision. Um, Because I feel like up until now, Jason's like, he's he's pulled himself out of the water so many times, like, that, that just seemed a little strange to me, but it is what it is. I want to say the writers of this also worked on the remake. So, and there was a point where, uh, yeah, Jason kills the girl in the water. And I think they were pretty much like making fun of that. Cause it's like, yeah, why would he be afraid of water? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to score this movie. Everyone, thank you for a score. Oh, this is kind of difficult. I didn't really think too hard about this beforehand, and I feel like I should have. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like seven, I guess. Okay, seven. Uh, maybe that's a little high. Six feels a little low because I do, I have a lot of fun with this movie. Um, even though it's, yeah, as we've discussed, it is very uh, 2003. <laughs> Um, there are some parts I could do without, but in general, I have fun with the kills, I have fun with the silliness, I have fun with two, uh, horror slasher icons coming together, and at first they were buddy cops, and then they gotta fight each other. I don't know, I just, I enjoy all of it. Um, but it's not, at the same time, it's not, it's not great, so I think seven works for me. Alright, what about you, Steve? I'm going to go with a 7.5. I'm just, I, I agree with t- what Taylor's saying. I just, I also have the context of my original feelings on the film when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that kind of big moment. Um, and the, 
a hard leaning into mainstream moment for horror as a genre. Um, so yeah, seven point five just feels right. Yeah, I'll give it a six. Like it is pretty <laughs> mediocre when you really think about it. Uh, there's a lot that's forgettable about this movie. Like honestly, I've seen this movie like three or four times, probably even more than that. And in watching it, like I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forget this happens. It's just there's nothing about this movie that is arguably very memorable. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's an okay movie. Uh, when you compare it to like both franchises, I think it would be a little bit higher if this was like honestly just like a movie in and of itself. But when you're comparing it to like Nightmare on Elm Street three or like Friday the Thirteenth Part four, it's like it's hard to kind of argue that this movie is as effective as those movies. But mm. and also, but movie, not the worst in uh, in either of the franchises. No, though. like I would definitely argue that. Uh, like Final Friday is worse than this, and I know there's a there's a couple of Nightmare on the Street that would probably raise below this too. But mm-hmm. like Freddy's Dead, yeah, or the remake. Ooh. Yeah, that yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> That's another one you'd have to drag me to the to the computer to record an episode on that. But <laughs> we gotta do like I have any interest in those either. Oh, I was just about to say we gotta do like a worst of the franchise. Yeah, but episode. it is kind of. Yeah, I would agree that it is like warranted, or like that we must pay penance for these movies to be to exist. <laughs> we can't the episodes the will be like. Oh, I was just gonna say the episodes will be like fifteen minutes long because we'll just be like, all right, let's just boom, 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 best performance. Well, no, I guess we wouldn't do best performance. We'd do like worst performance and worst kill instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we've done Nightmare on Elm Street two and three, so maybe it's, it's time true. we do. We do a really bad one. Because I actually, I don't mind 2. 2 has got its issues, but Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is not the worst by a long stretch. Cool. Well, Steve, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at the Steve Will Dead. Uh, my website is st- uh, stevestebbing.ca. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd, which is like the greatest social media that exists. Uh, even if the, we got m- mocked by uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown in Scream 6. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I am on uh, After the Credits. Uh, it's a monthly uh, podcast. Uh, the next one we're going to be doing will be on Dungeons & Dragons, which is a fun movie that people should see. Um, and I am on The Shift with Shane Hewitt every Thursday uh, on any chorus radio uh, station across Canada. Cool. Today, <laughs> Taylor, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I every so often I hang out on Instagram or Twitch under the username Techronomicon. I upload scores for the movies we cover on the podcast on my Letterboxd under the username Circeanic, and I have a blog that I will post about if I do anything else in, of interest on the internet. Circeanic.home.blog. Um, um, yeah, and I'm over on Twitter, film critic Kurt, I'm on Letterboxd, Fatal Koala. Uh, stay tuned to my Twitter, because I will be doing a Q&A for The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I can't say exactly when, even Ooh. though I know. Yeah. And, uh, 
confirmed already is uh, Yorgos Lathamos, the director, as well as Barry Keegan. So very Dang. excited for that. Yeah. Nice. Again, I can't say when or where. All I can say is that it's confirmed. That's all I can say. That's awesome. Yes, I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah, so stay tuned to my Twitter if you're interested in coming to that. Um, it will not be free. It will be a paid thing. So just FYI. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I don't know. Uh, Threeingreeners.com uh, got some reviews up for some latest and greatest. Mostly we've just been talking Love is Blind Season 4 because that is the most entertaining sh- show you can watch on any streaming service right now. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely love it. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next episode where we're going to talk about Glass, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs>